You're listening to Resident. Rehivasi. Kazi. Banor. Mukim. Ipua. Ritil Deganashi. Al Mukim. Residente. A 10 part series exploring individual perspectives on the immigrant experience in Ireland and the personal histories that led them here. This is episode 7 Charlotte. Charlotte Christensen. I am an illustrator and author, originally from Denmark, and I left when I was 15. I moved to Belfast, lived there for about four years, lived in Dublin for 10 years now. So I grew up in this little small town, very slow-paced life. You know, you'd walk down and, like, you'd know anyone on the street. You know, your friends were living just around the corner. You'd just cycle around easily and jump from door to door and, you know, see everyone. So it's that kind of small place. You know, from from the outside, it looks like a really cute, you know, lovely place to live in. And, you know, I do have fun memories of the place. Um, I probably should also mention that my I'm not actually completely a white Danish person as well. Um, my mom is Zimbabwean, so we were like the only black family in that town. So it was weird, you know. It was it was a strange time to grow up because there was nothing that you could be you you couldn't reflect yourself in in anyone really. And obviously the books and media and stuff I grew up with. This is like the nineties, you know. They didn't have like all this inclusivity that I suppose stuff started having more now. You know, going to school was like, there was no one else like yourself. It was just me and my sisters. And I remember stuff in school where, you know, kids would like point at my hair and you know, laugh about it. You know, call me a troll and stuff. So like, you know, it was a constant kind of reminder. The hair was really what stood out. It was really what, what people would immediately connect. Oh, that's, you're a black person. Because I'm very like pale skinned for a black person. Probably when I was about seven years old, you know, I really struggled with that. I really hated the way I looked and used to straighten my hair all the time, beg my mom to keep straighten it, you know, because I wanted to fit in. And even just the, if it wasn't that, it was everyone wanted to touch it, you know, everyone was like treating you a bit like, like, I don't know, an animal zoo. But at the time, I just, you know, when you, when you live in an environment where no one tells you that's wrong, when no one really like sets boundaries for you, you kind of just think, oh, that's okay. So I used to just like tolerate. I used to be like, oh yeah, they like me. It's okay, you know. So <laughs> now I just look at it so differently. <laughs> I grew up with my two younger siblings. So yeah, it was very noisy. <laughs> but also a lot of creative stuff with my sisters, drawing all the time. I think we were just, we were just nerds staying inside drawing all the time, really. <laughs> My mom's always been very creative. She's always painted, she made clothes, she even ran like a little clothes shop in the hairs. And my dad, he wanted to be an architect, so he really loves working on the hairs and he would do a lot of drawings and like come up with ideas. And so like there was definitely a lot of creativity uh, in the hairs. They just kind of let us do whatever. So we had a lot of freedom, maybe a bit too much freedom. <laughs> Thankfully it still turned out okay. <laughs> I had like this poster in my room of like the Disney characters like Goofy and Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse 
And like one morning I just thought, oh, I'd really like to draw Goofy. Like for some reason I just wanted to have a go at it. And like, okay, this is my little child self, okay, saying like I drew this thing. And then I was like, oh my God, it looks exactly like Goofy. And I ran downstairs like, mom, dad, look at this, look at this. And they're like, oh, you didn't draw that. No, I didn't. So I had to prove it to them. And <laughs> it's, just, it's so funny. It was just a cartoon character that I really liked that actually got me into drawing. And I realized then it's cartoon characters that I enjoy doing. And then I came across manga and anime and that just changed everything. I was like, whoa, I want to be a comic artist. Initially, it was really the magical girl stories that really got me into it. <laughs> I was in that age where, you know, you had like Sailor Moon and, you know, and, you know, Cat Captain Secure. And it was all like these young girls who suddenly had like superpowers and they'd go out, save the world. And there was something about it that just was enchanting. I was like, yeah, girl power. This is awesome. You know, these girls are going out fighting bad people. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Yeah. My mom being an immigrant in Denmark and a black person as well made it really, really hard to actually get better jobs. And, you know, she'd tell me stuff like, you know, she'd go to an interview and they'd be shocked to see a black person. And they'd even, like, admit it. And I was like, I can't imagine what that must have been like, living in a very white place. It probably has changed, like, I suppose Copenhagen is very multicultural now. But at the time, you know... Like, it probably is another thing to do with why I maybe struggle with, like, my dangerous identity is that I probably don't have a very positive relationship with it, particularly because I've seen how my mum was sort of treated there. So I think there's just a part of her that just wanted, she wanted something different. She wanted to, you know, do more. Eventually, you know, she found a job in Belfast, decided, you know, she wanted to try it out. She wanted something different. That's kind of why we ended up there. She moved first and then uh, we eventually moved all over. So, yeah, that's what happened. I was very upset about it. <laughs> very upset about leaving Denmark because I was 15. So I was leaving at a very kind of, having a very difficult time for a kid. Like, you're a teenager, you've got your established friends. And then suddenly I'm being told you're going to a whole different place and they don't speak Danish there. <laughs> so, you know, it was very stressful and very, it was very challenging because I'd come into Belfast and I'd be doing a year in high school and everyone has their friends and you're like the new kid. Everything felt big for a person who comes from a tiny place. Everything feels huge. I couldn't understand the accent very well there at the time I'm a lot better now <laughs> but um it was a bit of a culture shock for me as a child you know it's like suddenly it's like you're kind of taking out of that bubble it just the first year was just very tough didn't really have friends since I'm starting to get really sad now but it was a very sad one year of my life no parents should do that to their kids don't take them to another country when they're 15 do it when they're very young or when they're a lot older <laughs> Sometimes I think that because I'm very pale and because at the time I didn't actually wear my hair naturally, I didn't have it aired, I used to straighten it a lot, tied up. I think people preferred to see me as white and probably saw me more as a Danish person, which is also something I'm not completely happy with. Obviously, I would like people to see me as a multi-heritage sort of person, a person with different identities. But at the time, I think that there were definitely moments when people would be like, oh, like, you know, you're white, you know, and it was almost like, 
there was a part of it that felt like it's easier for you to handle me if you see me as white. So being outside of Denmark, that happened more than as a person in Denmark where I was treated more like, oh, you're, you know, you're a black person. And people did throw the N-word at me and stuff, whereas that was really rare once I moved. I suppose because on one hand you're in Denmark and you're born in Denmark, but people won't see you as Danish. And then on the other hand, you're in another country where obviously... People see you as obviously a foreigner and you're an outsider, but at the same time, people are just like, it's easier to just deal with you if we see you as white. So, yeah, that, that happened a lot, yeah. I think once I started going to like art college in Belfast, I just started to feel like at home and I found friends that I could connect with. That was when I really felt like, oh, you know, maybe it's okay to, to be different, you know, maybe it's okay to like embrace these things. So it's kind of like a very transformative time in my life, yeah. And I think that the people really make the place in the end of the day. And that's when I actually started really liking living there because I, I found a sense of community and having a support system around you. And suddenly the whole place sort of became a very, it's still a very special place to me now, you know. I see it very differently from when I first came there. But just when I got used to Belfast, my parents uprooted my life again. <laughs> They decided, you know, we can earn a bit better in Dublin, so we're going there. Like, mom got a job, so like, oh my God. And I was just almost finished my first year of um, college in Belfast. So they moved to Dublin and I stayed in Belfast for another, I think, another two years. And then I eventually ended up in Dublin, basically. And when I moved to Dublin, I initially thought people were a bit aloof, which is really funny. I just thought it was a really big city and, you know, people would walk with their suitcase and then push you and wouldn't apologize. I don't see it like that now. But at the time, it just I think it was just coming from a place where anyone at the bus stop would start chatting with you and you'd have a full on conversation with them. And so it took a long time to get used to Dublin. So I had a diploma already in art and design and for a while I wasn't sure what I wanted to kind of do after that. Did I want to go in and do more like comic specific? And then I realized illustration kind of, you know, it could do children's book, you could do comics, you could, it, it was like a broader thing. So decided to do a bachelor's degree in illustration. I wanted to do something on women in history in uni. And a friend had just said like, why don't you do something about black women history? And I was like, yeah, I actually don't know anything about black women history. So that was kind of the turning point. And what I got from it was just such positive empowerment because I was researching these incredible women who lived in very terrible times. I mean, times of slavery and just how they just endured so much and how they still lived their lives. It was just really incredible. Like obviously a lot of the media that I was exposed to as a kid was very Western or it was very white. And there wasn't really a lot of characters looked like me. It was kind of hard to come across stories like that. And if they did, it was like stereotypes. It was like caricatures. And it was like, well, I, I don't like that character. So why would I feel, why do I want to want to draw them? So it took a long time. Yeah. Literally was like in uni. It was literally when I was like 23. When I realized that I just spent a big portion of my life just drawing characters that don't look like me and my mom, my family. But it was a weird realization. Wait, I've been drawing white characters the whole time. Like, why have I never drawn someone that looks like me? And I think a part of it is that you you just think people like you don't really deserve to be in these stories. When you never see the stories, then you don't think you belong in them. And it's just a really weird kind of self-internalized sort of uh, self-sabotage, really, yeah. 
like it's so exciting like when for just as an example when black panda came out and it was like a big blockbuster movie and most of the cast was black it was like incredible and you see all these little kids they were so excited and you felt so excited for them because you knew exactly what that would have felt like as a child and you were seeing that happening to them it was incredible and i just i hope that there will be more and more of that and one day hopefully i would hope that kids that grow up with dark skin they're gonna be like no it's you know it's fine to look like me and and feel empowered through the characters because i think you still you still get like that you know i remember a friend she was doing um a post of a black girl holding a black doll and being really happy looks looks like me and she was like really excited and the reason why she made it was because even though there's been pushes to include race particularly in toys you still have black kids who don't want to buy the black doll they want to buy the white doll because the black doll is ugly and that's so heartbreaking even if the black doll is beautiful it's like that there's still that lingering difficulty of emotions related to being black and, and how people perceive you so be amazing to see kids grow up and like not immediately hate themselves you know not immediately hate their skin and and actually being happy to have a doll that looks like them i don't feel like i'm like a super eloquent person with words okay i just have to say like blabber a lot and i don't make sense <laughs> and it's like people say you made this one book and maybe they kind of immediately kind of turn to you and they're like oh yeah you should come on you should talk about these difficult things because you know what you're talking about sometimes i feel like oh do i have the expertise to talk on it do i have the knowledge do i understand the analysis it's it's stressful um i definitely have to admit it's stressful because you know, I'm only just one person from this community. I, I don't represent everyone. And I think that's that's a difficult balance to have. It's like that, you know, I could say this one thing, but then the person over there could say something different. Don't take my work completely for it. Um, I'm getting more confident as time goes, talking about it and stuff. I'm a weird type of artist. I actually don't like getting paint on my hands. <laughs> I don't like the feel of chalk, anything. I, I don't know, real squirmish about stuff like that. It just, it really bothers me. So um, this is clean. It's like, it's not messy. I can move layers around. I can change colors. And I have all the colors I can pick from, which is really exciting. It's very colorful. I love contrast colors. My favorite colors are pink, orange, turquoise. So you'll see a lot of that in my work. It's a very, I think it's a very modern and flat art style. Um, what else could I say about it? Um, there's loads of black people in it. <laughs> loads of empowering black people. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of how I describe it, yeah. I've always had an interest in wanting to do comics, but I never really made anything complete until my recent book, which is ridiculous. Like, it's like years later and like I've made a complete thing. It's called What We Don't Talk About, and it's about an interracial couple called Fry and Adam. Fry is about to meet Adam's parents for the first time. And then the trip turns out to be a really horrible experience for her. Whenever she sort of tries to bring up the kind of microaggressions that are happening from Adam's parents, when she tries to bring that up with Adam, he kind of he refuses to really see what's going on. And it makes her wonder, you know, if she can be with this person. So um, it is inspired by my own parents' relationship, particularly as a mixed kid growing up, seeing the kind of like racist stuff that my grandmother would say about my mom. Like, whew, she's very, like, I never liked her growing up. She always kind of intimidated me. She was always really scary. Very bitter woman. She's just someone who's had a hot life and takes it out on everyone. So I know where it comes from. 
But I think I only really realized how deep the racism went when uh, my dad was in a car accident years, years ago. Almost died for it. Thankfully, he had a seatbelt on and ended up in hospital. At the time, my mom was in Belfast. And immediately, it became my mom's fault that he had been in an accident. And that was really, that was when a lot of that stuff just kind of came to the surface. It was just, you know, I was 15 when that happened and I was supposed to be looking after my siblings. I remember the ambulance taking my dad away and, you know, having to tell my sisters what happened to him. And then we had to stay with our grandparents. And then my my grandmother is also a drinker. So she was like kind of getting drunk and stuff and... That night, while I was watching TV, I think my sister might have been asleep. She kind of came over, and it's so weird because I still remember it like it was yesterday. There was like a lamp over her head, and she like leaned over, and there was like shadow cast over her eyes. <laughs> it looks really villainous, right? And she just said that it's, you know, African women, they abandon their children, you know, and she just said all this really horrible stuff to me. And I just, oh man, I've never forgiven her since that. Like, I just, that was really when it just really came to surface for me. Sweetie. Awful. The fact that there was a lot of silence around it. There was a lot of kind of like, you know, people didn't really know what to do with it or how to contain it. It made you wonder as a kid, like, oh, is this okay? So there was always a lot of frustration around it for me. And so that was really where the idea came from, yeah. But fire is very different from my mum. My mom didn't feel confident enough to, to speak up about stuff happening. And for me, as a kid, I had hoped there was someone like Fry, or, you know, I myself being able to be like Fry. I like that she has boundaries. And it's probably something I've always maybe really hoped to see in myself and my mom. I really kept very quiet about it. I was like, yeah, I'm right, we're going to book. Yeah, it's um, it's about this. Um, and then it came out and then obviously they saw all the stuff I was posting about. It. They got me really curious about it. I was like, oh no. And then my mom bought it and I was like, oh God, I'm going to read it. Oh man, I'm so nervous. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen, you know. But actually it opened this whole conversation up that we never had. And I was like, whoa, this is unreal. And it was just so strange. Like my mom... <laughs> It's so funny. She was like laughing reading it because it was so relatable. I mean, laughing as in like, oh my God, yeah, that really reminds me of something. <laughs> yeah, it was really crazy. <laughs> my mom grew up like a rural sort of Zimbabwe. They didn't have much. They have a farm and they were living in like huts and they had cows and chickens and my mom would tell me that she didn't have shoes on since she was 12. So like it's a really, really different world. It's very hard for me to connect to Gregor Midemic. It's like, you almost feel like you're spoiled almost because you just get so much and the system supports you. And then it's very hard to imagine being in a place where you're really on your own and you really have to rely on each other. When I was eight, I was there for a month. I still have memories, very strong memories of it. I remember like the smell in the air, you know, I remember kind of driving through those arid places and what was growing there, you know, what the environment was like. And, you know, I, I loved it as a kid. I, I remember coming back and I wouldn't put my shoes on because I was just like, no, I just want to walk around with my bare feet. I used to do it a lot as a kid. But um, I don't know, there was just something about it. It just felt very, it just felt very homely. I really, really want to go back. I haven't been back since. And there's just this part of me that just wants to understand where my mom's from and this part of my identity that's very, that I don't feel like I've really gotten to interact with much.
And it's part of me that I know it's naivety to think I can just go there and I immediately have this understanding of the place. It's not going to be like that. Like, I have really vivid memories of certain places and I know when I go, it's not going to look exactly like that or it's not going to feel exactly like that. That's going to make me a little bit sad. It's going to take a long time. <laughs> I have to go there many times. I, I've started learning the language on, like, an app, but it's, it's very difficult to kind of pick these kind of things up when you're older. But it's like, trying to make some sort of attempt to kind of have some sort of connection that when I go there, I might understand something. And when I was a kid, like, my grandma spent a lot of time with us. She'd be coming over and spending a few months in Europe because it's obviously, you know, it's a bit of a hassle to, to get someone all the way from Zimbabwe to Europe. But I couldn't speak to her. And I know that she would sort of be like a gateway to so many stories, uh, even about family members that are long gone. I don't want to say it, but I do feel I do feel a certain kind of frustration and you know a sadness from it that uh, my mom didn't think it was important enough to teach me the language. And I think that, that that comes from that sense of like, well, you know, that's not an important language. People don't care about that language. What what, what are you going to use that language for? You can't get a job with it. So why would you learn it? That's probably where she's coming from with it, which is it's sad because it's robbed me of something. So yeah. In the end of the day, like, I will look different from other Danish people. So people will question that. People will point at that. And you will notice it as a kid growing up. So you kind of, you're, you're trying to find a place. And I think not knowing the other part of you just, it makes you feel incomplete. And it will, you'll feel incomplete for the rest of your life. <laughs> I'm pretty sure of it. So I have to figure out a way to deal with it. So, yeah, it's it's tricky. <laughs> It's funny because my partner is Polish, so we talk a lot about like how we approach things and how we see things. And he kind of grew up like, you know, they were just coming out of like the communist system and there was so much mess and like there was just so much like bribing. And like it's just stuff I can't relate to. Like I'm a very controlled kind of rule based person and it's just very ingrained in Danish identity. It's like, you know, you follow the rules, you always cycle with your lights on, with your helmets on, you don't cycle on the wrong side. And it's just so many things you can get a fine for. And it's just like, Funny being with him, I've kind of learned to relax a bit more, but there's a still very strong Pammy that's very like organized, kind of very rural. And and he just laughs at me when it, when it comes up, he's like, That's your Danish side. I'm like, I know. <laughs> We're both illustrators now, but when I met him, I actually met him in my first job in Dublin. We worked in IT customer service. <laughs> he was a trainer there and he didn't do art. I mean, he photographed and he did music. But he didn't actually only get into it until about seven years ago. So, like, we've been together now about 11, almost 12 years. So, like, we didn't start out being like, oh, two artists who met each other, which is what it probably looks like to most people. But, um, yeah, so we met We met at my first job here in very different circumstances. It's really great that we share that now, that he's, like, really obsessed with drawing and he's gotten so good. Oh, my God. He's overtaking me. <laughs> like, he's just, like, banging out drawings. I'm like, stop it. Just slow down. <laughs> so I got married in April on the 8th, and it was, as you can imagine, a tiny wedding. It was literally just free guests. And then we had the rest of the family and friends on Zoom just zooming in from wherever they were in the world because April was still very much like, you know, lockdown. Like you couldn't really travel and stuff like that. But to be honest, neither of us were really like big into getting a massive wedding anyway. And we were actually like, you know what, this is like nice. It's real chill. We don't have to stress. And that was a really, it was a nice day at least. 
I can kind of look back in 2021, oh, I was about to say 2020, <laughs> and say like, well, this was a good thing that happened during those two years, so, yeah. And once everything opened up, we traveled home and we just did a little party with everyone. So I actually got dressed up again for my family. <laughs> so we were wearing our wedding clothes and everything again in November, I think it was. It was so nice putting that on again. <laughs> So that was that was fun. So I got our photos with our family anyway. So couldn't be that bad. I am thinking of staying in Ireland for sure. We're in the process of actually buying something. Oh my god, it's giving me a headache. Just buying something in this country is very tough, but I'm trying to make it work because I actually don't want to leave. I think I'm kind of done with sort of setting down all the time, going somewhere new. Uh, I don't want to jinx anything because it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> we thought at one point it's not happening and then suddenly, oh, it is happening. But nothing is really set until we've got keys in our hands. So if everything goes well, I'd be living in Betty's town in an apartment close to really good friends there. So that'd be really exciting because it's like right next to the beach. It's really close. It's a big thing. Uh, there's many years I spent thinking I didn't really know if I was going to stay here. And um, it's nice to know that. It's nice to have that feeling like, oh, no, I actually don't, I don't want to leave again. I don't want to start over again. And I don't know if that's got something to do with age as well. I'm turning 33 soon. So I'm still fairly young, but there's stuff that you probably think about now that you wouldn't have thought about 10 years ago. And 10 years ago, I could have gone anywhere, I think. Yeah. But then at some point... Maybe it's nice to kind of feel like, oh, actually, it's not so bad to settle somewhere. I think if I had stayed in Denmark for all these years, probably I would just eventually be like, well, I'm Danish, you know. But the fact that I left when I was 16 and the fact that I never felt completely Danish to begin with means like I'm still in this really weird limbo where I'm like, well, I'm not Irish. And I don't really have much of a connection to Denmark. I don't really understand the new even just the words people use, like my sister always tells me, she's living back in Denmark and she's like, oh my God, you still say that word. No one uses that word anymore. It's like so outdated. I'm like, how am I supposed to know? Like, <laughs> I've been out of the place for so long that I, I've lost touch with the humor, the culture that's going on there. So it's like, a, it's a weird thing. It's kind of, uh, sometimes I just say, you know what, I'm just <laughs> a citizen of the world. Let's just put it that way. You know, like I try not to get too bogged down about nationality. It's funny because me and my husband, we talk about this and he's Polish, fully Polish and left when he was 26. So he had a really strong idea of like, well, I understand my roots. I understand, you know, I know my language and, and stuff. He still has a, a strong connection to the place. So like he doesn't understand me when I'm very quick to dish nationality or borders or whatever. I'm like, whatever, it doesn't matter. And that's just because I've never had a strong sense of it, to be honest. So yeah, maybe it's better. Like when I think about the thing that got me through is just being able to actually adapt to change, like not being so scared of change, not being scared of something that's different or unfamiliar. And I think a lot of people struggle with that, you know, like if they've lived all their lives in one place or they've always had the same set of friends, then they, they never put themselves in, in a situation where they feel uncomfortable, where they have to learn new things. For me, it's like I just always kind of find that, you know, change is, change is scary, but it's not, it's something I've dealt with so many times. I've had to start over so many times. I had to make new friends and I just know I'll be fine. I know I'll be okay. And maybe that's, there's some strength in that.
Thanks for listening. This has been a Bearprint Media production produced by Bjorn McGilla and me, Rob Flynn. Edit and mixed by me with original music by Haku Yo of Sonic Gate Studios. Special thanks to all our contributors for making this series possible. This series was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use. Thanks very much for your support.